things about God is that God does not lack worship. God is not looking for worship. God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for people like you and I that will voluntarily, and that's the key, voluntarily of our own free will worship God in spirit and in truth. God, the Bible says, seeks out people like that. One of the best ways, is most assured ways of getting God's attention is to worship God with all of our hearts, wholeheartedly. Now listen, friends, the biggest hindrance to worship or hindrances to worship, two of the biggest hindrances, the first one is our own sense of self-importance. Our sense of self-importance. I'm not saying that you're not important. I'm not saying that people are not important. But in the presence of God, when we carry that sense of self-importance into the presence of God, we are really doing ourselves a lot. We're denying ourselves a lot of the goodness of God. Okay? You are a very important person. You highly qualified. You've got a great job. You have a wonderful future. But when we bring that into the place of worship, it hinders us from really giving God the worship that is acceptable to him. The second thing is a sense of loss. Maybe you lost the job, you lost something, the relationship, or whatever. You know, something is just not right. You're not where you thought you would be. Some things are just not in place. That sense of, you know, being denied one or two things, things are just not working. We feel that that gives us the right not to worship God. But every part of the creation of God worships God, except the only one God gives a free will to, which is you and I. Friends, by the grace of God, I've worked with this God since 1995. That's 27 years. Many of you here are not, you're less than 27, respectfully. I can tell you this, truly, truly, it's not just what I read in the Bible. This God is a good God. This God is a very, very good God. But many people find that God is not real to them because they're not taking the first important step they need to take. Now, I know that, you know, because it's a voluntary thing, you know, it's voluntary. God does not like us to give him anything under compulsion or out of necessity. But I know that this small charge I've given you now, maybe one or two people here are ready to just, let's go for two minutes. Is that okay? Sorry, is that okay? Somebody just ready to let go for a minute or two to just say, you know what? For a minute or two, let me just focus on God and just forget about the fact that, you know, um, I'm a senior manager, I'm a director, I'm a VP, or what have you, in my place of work. I'm the you know, valedictorian of my, of my school. I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. All oh, my friends are looking at me. I just want to forget about that for a minute. I just want to focus on this God for two minutes and just honor him. Is that all right with somebody? Leave those hands, let's worship him then if you're ready. You are Alpha in Omega. We
make it personal. Let's go ahead, give the Lord a bigger applause. We give you the glory forevermore. Blessed be your name. Thank you and thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we've worshipped. Amen. Please be seated. God bless you. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Super Sunday and welcome to a new month. This is going to be a great month for you in Jesus' name. Last Sunday, um, I was in, my wife and I, my family were in Vancouver. Uh, so we're in Vancouver, and then um, my son, uh, James, preached, yeah, about how to respond to the love of God. Yes, I appreciate James. He did a fantastic job. Did a real good job. I'm so proud of him, proud of every one of you. For those that are joining us for the very first time, thank you for coming here um, today. I appreciate you. Thank you for every one of you coming in person and particularly those joining us for the very first time. I know you've been welcomed, but thank you once again for being part of this. And all those that are joining us online also, we appreciate you. Thank you for being part of this service. Praise the Lord. All right. I know today's Super Sunday and you have a lot to do a lot in this service. So I'm going to keep this short. We're going to continue with our um, series on relationships. And I want to start talking about the seven seasons of a man-woman relationship. Seven seasons of a man-woman relationship. So, whether for somebody like me that's married now 
for almost 27 years, and this, on 20th of December this year, it will be 27 years that I've been married. Whether for somebody like me, I'm in one of these seasons. Or for somebody like you, or maybe one or two people here, or maybe online, that is just about starting the relationship, just not even started, there's one of these seasons belongs to you. Somebody that started just starting one of these seasons, you find yourself. Somebody that started in a relationship, you've been cutting and you're about to get married, you find yourself here. Somebody that just got married, you will find yourself here. So I would appreciate if you will give God your attention as he speaks through me to you throughout this uh, series. Is that all right, friends? No? Yes? All right. Okay, let's do it. Don't worry, I won't be long. I'll get out of your face in a few minutes. God's purpose for relationships is for us to experience Experience what? Fulfillment and satisfaction, fruitfulness and productivity, safety and protection. Please, if you're writing down, it will be good for you to write these things down. Because when the purpose of something is not known, abuse is inevitable. You need to know the purpose for which a God set up a relationship. If you don't know that, there will be abuse one way or the other, whether it's psychological abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, and God forbid, many a times also physical abuse. Okay? The purpose for which God, because relationship is not man's idea, it was God that said it is not good for man to be alone. So this is the reason why God wants it. Fulfillment and satisfaction. Relationships are not designed to be up and down, guesswork, experimental uh, endeavors. Relationships are designed to bring fulfillment and satisfaction. It's actually possible. It's not a PR campaign. It's not a gimmick for you to be in a relationship and be fulfilled and satisfied. Like I said, to the glory of God, I've been married for almost 27 years, and I am not unhappy, and it's not a PR thing that pastors see. It's, this is real. There are people that are in this church that, to the glory of God, you know, they are like my family, family, you know, I mean, as in the members of the church, but they're my family now, because we've known them for a long time. And they they're, they're very familiar with the relationship I have in my home with my family. It's designed for fulfillment and satisfaction. You can have a lot of laughter, a lot of fun in the relationship. It's designed for productivity. Two are better than one. So in other words, when you get into a relationship, the goal of God is that years after you're in the relationship, you are a better person than, than you were before you got into that relationship. And for safety and protection, one person, the Bible says when one falls down, the other one can pick them up. Okay? Relationship is supposed to be a place whereby you can be emotionally naked. Emotionally naked. In other words, you can say it the way it is. You know, I lost my job, and you can break down and cry. And the other party will not use that occasion against you another day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I've just said? Particularly for men. Somebody say, men don't cry. What kind of men are you? <laughs> what kind of men are you talking about? Because the men in the Bible cry. David was a giant killer. He cried. Jesus Christ, men of men, he cried. So, so, listen carefully. Safety and protection, where you can be in a relationship, you feel secure, you feel safe. You don't feel that oh, I'm in this relationship. I, I just don't know, but you know, the guy is trying his best, but his sisters. 
his sisters are this, or his brothers are this, or his friends are this. That's, you're not being protected. That's not the goal of relationship. Okay? The goal of relationship is for you to be protected in the relationship. Okay? To feel a sense of safety. Praise God. All right. So in concluding, <laughs> I see you want me to get out of your way very quickly. Don't worry. I, prom I promise you this is not long. All right. But, but I wanted to get this quickly. The greatest stumbling block to experiencing the best of God in our relationships is when we have the wrong mindset based on wrong ideologies. The wrong mindset based on the wrong ideologies. And thank God all of you are very smart people, master's degree, two master's degrees. Some of you are enlisted to do your PhD. Many of you are from university campuses and so on and so forth. You understand what I'm saying here? Ideologies form mindsets. As a matter of fact, a lot of the ideologies that are running the Western world today are ideologies crafted, created, developed by people that are long dead, hundreds of years ago. Okay, Socrates, Aristotle, you know, Karl Marx, and all of these other people, you know, they have crafted all these ideologies and the Western world is still running on a lot of these ideologies today. Ideologies. So the question is, what is an ideology? An ideology is a body of thoughts or ideas, all right? A body of thoughts and ideas that guide decision-making. This is the root cause of pain in relationships. Because whatever relationship you are, whatever you're going through in that relationship, however you are doing in that particular relationship, guaranteed you are running based on an ideology. Even as I'm speaking to you right now, However, the way you are processing the information you're hearing now is based on an ideology you have. So you're not actually hearing what I'm saying. You are hearing what I'm saying through what you are thinking, through your mindset. Okay, this is a very important thing. Ideologies. So where do people get their ideologies from? Let's look at three or four of them. Is that all right? Where do people get ideologies from? So you see people get into relationships where did they get these ideologies from? So quickly, the first one, the first place people get their ideologies from is traditions. Tradition, what is happening in their culture. That is why, please listen to me, young ladies and young men. Be very careful for a man, of a man, I'm speaking to the young ladies first, that is steeped in tradition. Steeped in tradition. Be very careful. Because you are only, the best you will ever be is to be somebody based on the definition of that particular tradition. All right? Traditions are good if traditions are good if they are in line with the word of God. Traditions basically mean something some original set of people traded on. An idea they traded on on is what now became tradition. That's how we get tradition. Somebody woke up one day, for example, and decided that as an African man in the southwestern part of Nigeria, they were going to eat bolus of food and dip it into soup. That was the preference of one particular man. He encouraged the rest of the people in his village. They started it. Then it became a tra. Because that was what he traded on. So the preference of that man has become the culture of the people today. 
And it's very difficult to go against tradition. So tradition is a set of unwritten rules that guide behavior. It is usually learned intentionally and unintentionally from the previous generation. Some of you, the mindset you have formed based on the ideology of the traditions you saw in the relationships of people that have gone ahead of you. Unfortunately, respectfully, but unfortunately, sometimes some of them, your parents. The way they've treated your mom, treated your dad, or treated your mom, treated your dad, and all of that is formed ideologies. And you remember, these are things we learn with, they're unwritten. Sometimes they're not verbalized. You just learn them by observation or in the culture. And culture is usually transmitted through programs on TV, through what you call programs on TV, you know, sitcoms and all of that, soap operas, music, okay, literature. That's the way culture usually is transmitted the most, oral stories and so on and so forth. Some of us have learned some very bad things. For example, can I, can I, are you in church today? When I was growing up, for example, true life story, true life story. When I was growing up, I was the age of 13, 14. So my dad found out that I had a little bit of a gift in the area of intellectualism. So I was always in the area of intellect. You know, I was always coming first in my class, in primary school, elementary school, high school, and I was doing very well until I got to university. I thought my dad told me I was the best in the world. I actually thought I was the best until I got to the university. It happens at my university, there were some extraterrestrial beings. They were in my class. Of the, all the human beings in my class, I was still the best. Because anybody better than me is an alien. But, but anyway, but, you know, so my dad wanted me to, so there was this particular um, study group. Let's just call it study group. That my dad wanted me to be part of. You had to write an exam to join that club. It was a science club. So I joined. I passed the exam by the grace of God, did excel, you have to get a particular mark. I got, I got into, the, into the club. Now, I think we used to go in there every Tuesday and Thursdays. The best students from different, different schools around that community joined that club and you know, we exchanged ideas. It was, very, it was a lot of fun. The gate man of that place, when you were entering, you know, the gate man, the man that starts at the gate, opens the gate and all of that for us. The gate man, I don't know what has happened to the man. Maybe his wife, a woman must have done something very damaging to him. Every time the man opens the gate, you greet the man, good afternoon, sir. What it, the way he replies constantly is, women are ungrateful. True life story. That's what the man, the man says. You tell him, good night, sir. Women are ungrateful. He never replies what you have said. You tell him, oh, good afternoon, sir. Women are ungrateful. Now, imagine I was 13, 14. And you hear that, I had that for about one and a half years, two years. At least twice a day. Women are ungrateful. When you're going to the evening, women are ungrateful. So the, your mind is programmed to think women are ungrateful. Then you hear so many stories that, oh, this man, he did a lot for his wife, did a lot for his family. Then one day his wife left him. Then you remember, connecting with what the man has said, women are ungrateful. And if, you're not, if I had run with that particular ideology, I would have destroyed my marriage. I would have been unhappy. So what are you running with in your mind that you have heard or watched on TV or heard in music? It was Bob Marley that sang the song, No Woman, No Cry. I remember I was a teenager when that song came out, and I, I used to listen to it a lot. 
and listen to it a lot. So if you don't want to cry, don't get involved with women, basically. No woman, no cry. When somebody else has sang, it must have been love, but it's over now. Another person changed the song. I can see clearly now my wife is gone. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of people have turned their pain into music. And this music has programmed us. Thank you, Jesus. Where do people get their ideologies from? Number two, from pain and bitter experiences. Okay? So we have to be careful here because people get into a set of conclusions reached as a result of their personal experiences. If somebody's personal experience is not consistent with the teachings of Scripture, respectfully, even if they are your biological parents, you have to jettison that experience. Somebody's personal experience cannot be your own rule in life, particularly when it is contrary to Scripture. The Bible says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promise, not those who became victims in life. Respectfully, even if it's your father or your mother, you have to make sure that you don't allow their pain. Some of your friends have had some bitter experiences. Some of your friends, some people, perhaps even your mentors have had bitter experiences of what has happened to them through a man, through a woman. And suddenly they begin to tell you all of these stories. And if you are not very careful, you repeat their own painful experiences. Don't allow somebody's personal decision, personal experience, to become your own conclusion. Is this okay? Number three, pop culture. Mm -hmm. This is where you have to be getting, and I, you know, I, I really feel for you guys, and I, and I pray for you guys, I really feel for you guys, because in, when I was growing up my own days, thank God, and I say thank God, really thank God, there was no social media. Everybody, that will, the people that will invent the social media at that time, they had not yet come up with the idea, thank God, because I can just imagine, I would have been too lost, too lost, I would have been seriously lost, but for you today, you don't have to search for it. It's, it goes on with you. It's on your phone. By the time you pick up your phone, your Instagram, your Facebook, your feed, you just keep on seeing it. Pop culture is all over. It's telling you what is acceptable now. What is pop culture now? Pop culture is telling you the prevalent and acceptable norms in the society at a particular time. What is acceptable today in my days was not acceptable. What was acceptable in my days was not acceptable in the days of my dad. So you have a lot of these things going on. And these things are is as a result of popular culture. And if you are not very careful, particularly as a Christian, if you allow popular culture to dictate your ideology, you are going to pop in your relationship. True. I'm telling you this. True. You know, I, you, you know people that I really, really, really admired growing up, guys that I really, really, really admired growing up, you know, then I see, you know, the, the lifestyle. I see what, what's going on with them. And I'm saying to myself, seriously? Seriously? And, you know, you can admire somebody and admire one aspect of their life, perhaps their career, perhaps the fact that they're successful in their career or in what they're doing in one particular area. And if you're not very careful, you can extrapolate that to other areas of, of their lives 
and allow the culture that they're initiating or they're driving or they're amplifying to affect you and create a dangerous ideology in you. Be very careful, friends, of pop culture, including pop culture amplified by pastors on social media. Hmm. It's not everything that glitters that is gold. Anything anybody says, including the pastor that is speaking to you right now, if it is not consistent with the word of God, please throw it away. Don't take it. That's what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, to the word and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20, put it on the screen so that they can know what I'm saying. It is because there's no light in it. If I teach you anything or I say anything to you that is not consistent with the word of God, please don't take it from me. Just know that that one is just, don't worry about that. You see, to the law and to the testimony. If it does not, it does not speak according to the word of God, it is because there is no light in them. Don't say, oh, one man of God, oh, one woman of God, oh, one great person said, is it consistent with scripture? If it's not consistent with scripture, forget it. Are you still in church today? Are you still in church today? So because you see a pastor on social media, uh, there are many people in the church, and he's doing something, he's going, can I give an example? Uh, just an example. So this is not, it's not that this has happened, it's just an illustration. <clears throat> Maybe you see a man carrying a woman's bag, you know, carrying a woman's bag, you know, and, and, and saying that uh, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not bothered about gender. And here you are as a man. You're going out with a lady and you're carrying a bag. Let me say this to you. So, but, but in today's world, listen to me. If you flow with today's world, you will go with today's pain. The word of God is, we're going to get to that in a minute, it's timeless. And it has produced results for many years. It has been tried and tested, not years, centuries. Be very careful. Be very, very careful. I tell my, my wife all the time. It's okay for you to forget your bag upstairs in the room and tell our son, go and pick it up for me. Or tell him, take my bag from here, put it there. Or you left it in the car when we come back home, tell him, go take the bag and bring it home. But never tell him to pick your bag publicly. A man should not be carrying a woman's bag publicly. Huh? Yes. So, so what am I supposed to do? He's showing love, eh? He's showing sissy. He's a sissy. Uh, okay, let's leave it. Let's leave it. Can we talk? Oh, you don't want to talk. All right, okay. All right, so in conclusion, because a lot of things that people just say, oh, but what if that's my wife's love language? That's not. That's, you can't be carried. You can't do that. You're a man. Thank you, Jesus. Unfortunately, men don't know how to be men anymore because they have gender fluidity. Some people say I'm non-binary. Maybe there's some people that are even here. Maybe some men are here. They say they're non-binary. Well, today I'm not, it's not the session. I have another one for you. Another message for you. Deliverance from non-binary. You are binary. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I'm not, this is not my opinion. I'm speaking God's word to you. If you don't like it, that's fine. You can choose not to like it. But this is God's word. So God created, can I read the Bible to you? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Come on now. Male and, read it now. What? Okay, so if you have two things, 
Is that not binary? I didn't go to school. Is that not binary? Two is bi, right? B-I. Right? Male and female equal to them. So it's okay if you don't believe in the Bible, you don't want to believe in the Bible, you reject that. That's fine. But this is a church. Is that right? Come on, guys. Is that right? So this is a church. In the church, we run based on the word of God. And I have zero apology for believing in the word of God. All right? So don't let, don't let all these things you see in pop culture, the musicians, particularly coming from the U.S., a lot of them are all seriously messed up people. Messed up people. Someone say, oh, oh yeah, my husband and I, we have open relationships. You have open relationship, and you say, well, this is pop culture, pop culture. You know, people today, people have open relationships. It doesn't matter. Seriously? Open relationship? What is that? What is that? <laughs> I, I, I remember there was there's this guy uh, that was on, uh, it's on CNN. I don't want to mention his name, but it's on CNN. Um, he has a pigmentation. And this particular guy, he said he, just had, he said he had a baby from a, not a conscious, non-something-something relationship. So he, he said he had a friend, he had a friend, a lady, a lady friend. That particular lady friend wanted to have a child. He also wanted to have a child. They were just friends, but they were not partners. They were not in a relationship. I want to have a friend. You want to have a friend. Oh, we have the same desire. It's like saying, oh, I'm going to Timothy's. I'm going to Timothy's. All right. Let's just go to Timothy's together. I'm going to go. Then you want to have a friend. Oh, I want to find out. Oh, we can have friends. We can have a child together. Can you imagine that? Listen to me. This is pop culture. This is what is prevalent now. But please understand. If you want to build your life based on what will last and give you fulfillment, you know, this is how to go about it and what I'm going to be teaching. Okay? It don't flow with pop culture. Number four, you know, yes, pop culture creates tolerance and acceptability for what is ultimately destructive. It's ultimately destructive. Number four is tried and tested Bible principles. It's a set of relationship laws that produce predictable results. You know, I've done this by the grace of God. I've been in this position, serving God's people for 22 years. So I, I didn't start yesterday. What that indicates basically is that I've seen thousands of people. I've conducted, the first wedding I conducted was in the year 2000. I've conducted many weddings. I've done many baby dedications. Also, regrettably, I've also done a few funerals. I've seen many joyful weddings. Regrettably, I've also seen painful divorces. I've seen many excited couples when they start. Regrettably, I've also seen pain. I've seen a man that got, a lady that got married, and I'm telling you truly, like, this is not something I read in the magazine. This is something I know the lady. The lady came to me. I actually had to minister to her. And the man was so abusive to the lady, physically abusive, and one day the mother came to stay with them. The lady had a child. And while the man could not hold it and he was being physically abusive, the mother, of course, stepped out and said, oh, no, don't do, don't do that, don't do that. He beat the mother and beat the daughter. True life story. 
And the lady came to me, the lady left the house for a while, came to me, I spoke to her, I encouraged her. The next day, in the middle of the night, the girl that has gone back was not pregnant again from the same man. Because the ideology running inside her head is all these ideologies and eventually, of course, destruction again. Destruction. That's not what you need. But people say, oh, but I don't want that. But if you don't want that, then you have to flow with what is predictable. You can't say, oh, you know what? I don't, I don't, if I, if I go up, I don't want to fall down. Well, if you go, if you want to go up and not fall down, then you have to obey the laws of aerodynamics. You can't disregard the laws of gravity and aerodynamics and the law of lift and say, I want to go up and not come down. You have to obey that law. Are you following what I'm saying, friends? So, it, the Bible principles are laws, relationships laws. The one that created them, male and female, knows their gender, knows them. So, he now set up laws that will help them in their relationships to accomplish the original purpose in which he has put, given to them. So we're going to be talking about these laws as we move on. But quick question is, what are these seasons, um, as I begin to wrap up now, what are these seasons, I'm talking about seven seasons of relationship. Are you ready? So let's talk about one of them today and then we can close shop and we'll continue some other time. The first season in these seven seasons, are you sure you're ready? Yes, it's a season of self-discovery. Self-discovery. Someone say, well, self-discovery. What does that have to do with the relationship? Self-discovery. Just listen carefully. If, listen, if you are not yet in a relationship, congratulations. Congratulations. True. If you're already in a relationship, congratulations. <laughs> you, need to, you need to understand it because this is very, very important. Listen, in John chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, John chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, they came to a man called John, and this is the testimony. This is the, what John said. When the Jews and the priests and the Levites came to him, and they asked him the question, who are you? Who are you? This is a fundamental question that life is asking you. Who are you? Who are you? Whether, well, relationship specifically for today, but beyond relationship, this is a question life is always asking you. Who are you? Who are you? Very important question that life is going to be asking you. So, oh, I'm an engineer. Someone says, oh, I'm a medical doctor. Someone says, oh, I'm a lawyer. So, so, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an IT specialist. Oh, I'm an accountant. I'm a financial planner. I'm a this. I'm a nurse. I'm a this. I'm an administrator. That's fine. That's not who you are. That's what you do. Don't confuse what you do with who you are. Okay? <laughs> I remember many years ago, a man came to me. So I asked him, I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Evangelist. I said, no, that, that's not your name. I said, your name. I didn't say what you do. I didn't say your calling. Your name. I said, ask him. I said, is Evangelist on your birth certificate? He said, no. I said, then that's not your name. Pastor Wale is what people call me, or PWA. Fine. Listen carefully. That's not who I am. That's what I do. You need to know who you are. This is a very important thing. He said to them, I'm not the Messiah. Ah, can I go a step deeper? In a relationship, 
many, many times when you have been through difficult situations, what you're looking for is a Messiah in a relationship. You're looking for a Messiah. So if you ever, I say, particularly for men, listen carefully. If you want to live long, can I speak to the men? Can I speak to the men? If you want to live long without complicated health problems, please do not, never present yourself as a Messiah to a woman because the needs of a woman are insatiable. When I say needs now, I'm not talking about financial needs now. Emotional needs, they're insatiable. You know, I preached first service uh, in House of Praise already today. I spoke a lot. I'm speaking now. Between the first service and this one, I spoke a lot to people, praying for people and doing all of that ministry. Spoke a lot. Now I'm speaking a lot. But on my way home now in the car, let's just say the person I'm going home with is still going to expect me to say a lot. When I get home, I'm still going to have to say a lot. I'll take a nap. I'll wake up. I'm now expected to start an entire family service. Not preaching, but I now have to. Because she still has a lot of words to say. Maybe they say sometimes men have about 3,000 words to say. The women have at least 10,000. I think my wife has 30,000. <laughs> and God have mercy on me because when I was coming this morning, when I'm coming to church in the morning, I hardly want to, I don't want to talk in the car. I'm praying, getting ready for the service. So, so this morning's one hour drive from my house to this place, basically the way she sees it is that you owe me. Before I go to bed tonight, I have to give her back that one hour. Now, if you are, so sometimes I tell her, these things you want to hear from me, why don't you go and let God be speaking to you too, you know? <laughs> Listen to me. If you want to be the Messiah, that's what will burn you out as a man. So John the Baptist said, Listen to me, guys, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. That's why I've been able to do what I'm doing right now also for 22 years, and I'm not burnt out. Why? There was a time I used to preach four times in a, in, a, in a day, on a Sunday, and I'm not burnt out. The reason is because I don't see myself as a Messiah to solve every problem. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. All right. So they asked, after they asked him many questions, they now asked him, look at what he said. He said, are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you one of the prophets? He said, no. Don't let anybody in the relationship try and project to you what they expect from another person. Hmm. Don't let them do that to you. If they do that to you, they will destroy you. Are you one of the prophets? He said, no. John the Baptist never raised anybody from the dead. He never performed any physical miracle. So they said, are you Elijah? Are we going to see some miracles that you do? He said, no, that's not me. That's not me. That's not where I am. Your old boyfriend might be this and this and that, bringing doing this, bringing flowers every single day. That's not my own particular way of communicating love. That's not me. Your old boyfriend might be cracking jokes, might be a comedian. I'm a more serious person. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm, I'm sure you get the point. Don't let somebody turn you into who you are not. All right. So they said, we're not satisfied by, now we know who you are not. But we also need to know who you are. 
what do you say about yourself? And that is a question life is asking you. Life is not asking you what people are saying about you. That is not important. But unfortunately, that's what many people focus on. Log into Instagram, comments page. Ah, see what people are saying. They didn't like this post. Look at what they're saying about me. You put it down, and you're sad based on what people are saying about you, and that has no relevance to your future. What really carries weight and has relevance to your future, I hope you're hearing me, is what you say about yourself. You know, you know I've done this thing for 22 years. God has delivered me. What people say about me or don't say about me, I'm telling you, I mean, I would not have survived on this, in this role for 22 years, actively, if what I'm telling you is not true. What somebody says about me, somebody doesn't say about me, I don't listen to that at all. I, I hardly, I don't put my ears near that. It doesn't matter. Everybody, everybody has a right from the government of Canada, covered by our uh, Charter of Rights, and also from the Bible, to have their opinion. What you call good, somebody calls bad. If I take some of you, some of you, to a Japanese restaurant tonight now, today, and they give you sushi, you say, ah, it's not cooked. This is not food. Until you roll your hand, it's not food for some of you. you take some of you to Chinese, Chinese restaurant, they give you chopsticks. You say, what am I supposed to eat with? That's what you eat with. But you see, what is not food to you is delicious to somebody else. Is that... Do you understand what I'm saying? So, yes, in one particular place, somebody might venerate me. Somebody might look at me and say, oh, what, what's wrong with this? In another place, I'm celebrated. It's not my own choice to identify where I'm celebrated and not where I'm tolerated. And leave those people that are trying to tolerate me and move towards those that are trying to celebrate me. You understand? What do you say about yourself is more important than what anybody, I don't care who the person is, is saying about you. Your best friend, your this, it doesn't matter what they're saying about you. What are you saying about yourself? What do you think about yourself? When you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you think? When you're going to bed, what do you think about yourself? Do you think you're a loser? Do you think that you, nobody's, so oh, well, look at me. Some people say I'm beautiful, but nobody, nobody's asking me out. Nobody's saying hi to me, and so on and so forth. I even have a friend. She's an ugly Betty. People are just swimming around her. What are you saying about yourself? Very, very important what you say about yourself. You are a champion. You're not a loser. You are a masterpiece. You are a piece from the master. You understand? Please, this is a very important thing. This is a very important thing. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. You are a very important personality in the agenda of God. History will remember you for the impact you have on humanity. See yourself as the head and not the tail. I used to work in McDonald's. No, let's start from the beginning. I worked in Burger King in 1994, November, all the way to June of 1995. I work in Burger King. Somebody said, oh, you mean as a senior manager? No, crew member. I was the guy, I started delivering from the truck, taking boxes out of the truck, taking to the freezer in the basement. From there, I got powerful promotion to become a crew member. My job was just to take the burger from the kitchen, put it in the chute. Then from there, they permitted me to the kitchen. The biggest job in the kitchen then at that time was to be on the, what is called the whopper board. 
because WAPA is what Burger King sells. That's their big deal. If they can put you on the WAPA board at lunchtime, that means you're very good. So I, I had Skilo. <laughs> I was so good to put me on the WAPA board after three months. WAPA on the shoot. I did this for some months. That's where I started. Then I lost the job. Anyway, after my story in Burger King, I work in McDonald's. I still have the T-shirt and the cap. I intentionally kept it because I want to show my song. Hey, you see? I started here. After I left McDonald's, I work in KFC. True. No, no, this is true. This is after I've gone to university and I've trained as a pharmacist. This is true life story. I work in KFC. That's why I don't look down on people. Because you never know. You never know who you're dealing with. After I left KFC. So, I don't look down on anybody. I worked as a security officer in Tesco supermarket on Cheapside in London, England. Cheapside, London, England is where you have the Bank of England. Billions were flowing over my head. And I was earning three pounds an hour living in a bed seat in Streatham Hill in London, England. I know what I'm talking about. When I see people sometimes, they clean, when they clean the church, when I see people mopping, you know, some people, you know, they take the mop and they're trying to mop the floor. I go to them and say, please, please, give me the mop, please. Even as a pastor, I say, you know, I, I, I said, I understand, madam, I understand. Oh, I, I understand, you know, I, I had to earn a living from mopping in Burger King. So I take the mop, put it in, squeeze it down, and I tell, this is how you mop. You don't mop it this way. I said, Pastor, no, thank you. So you I have to earn three pounds an hour for mopping the floor. But, you know, if you had told somebody then that the same guy that was mopping the floor, three, dollar, three pounds an hour, mopping the floor, mopping the floor, mopping the floor, mopping the floor, that one day, this same guy, and this is the testimony of many, many years ago, will walk into a showroom down the road there and ask them that I want to buy this luxurious car, which is for six figures, and told them to load the whole thing, and only two people, as at that time I bought the car, had the level of things inside it. The man that is the CEO of Jaguar himself, and this small boy that is here. Do you understand? Or what is that? I'm not, and they ask you, are you going to finance it? You tell them, God forbid. True life story, and give them a bank draft, and tell them you can take this. Listen to me. The same boy that was mopping the floor, three floors. You can't judge people by where they are today. You understand? You can't judge them by where they are today. Don't look at where somebody is today and say to themselves and write them off. So please, listen to me. I said all of that to say, don't write yourself off. If people think you are nothing, please don't think you are nothing. If people think you are nothing, they treat you anyhow. They don't say hello to you. They mistreat you. As long as you don't mistreat yourself. Don't internalize people's behavior around you. Don't take it. Don't take it personal. Somebody doesn't treat you well. Somebody says, oh, hi. You know, ladies know how to do this very well. They look around and they see people and they, they estimate them from top to bottom. And say, oh, this one is still buying his clothes from winners. You know, and they say, oh, hi, how are you? You were not in church last week, I, you know. I, you know, and ladies, when, when ladies are open to men, 
there's the way they stand. But don't worry, men. We won't say it here now. When we have our men conversation, I'll tell you. When a woman stands in front of you and they open to you, there is a way. They don't even know it themselves. They don't know it. They can't control it. It's just, it's just the way they are. There's the way they stand. When they stand in front of you and you are repulsive or they underestimate you or like former president George W. Bush who put it when he mangles the English language, when they misunderstand you, because that's the way you used to say it, when they misunderstand you, there's also a way they stand. But the question is this, even if somebody looks at you today and writes you off, please don't write yourself off, including all of you ladies, please don't write yourself off. Don't look at yourself based on your background, don't look at yourself based on your qualification, because you don't have a job today, don't knock yourself. Don't be hard on yourself and say to yourself, look at me, nothing is working for me. Please don't do that. Don't do that. You didn't write the script about your future. Okay? No matter what's happening to you today, that's your circumstances, that's not your portion. Differentiate the two. Okay? What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? You are a winner, you are not a loser. You are not a failure. Yes, you fail an exam. Don't look at the exam and say, well, I'm not, I, I failed an exam. I think I'm a failure. And I failed an exam, you know, and, and I went for this job interview. Even my friends that I introduced to the same place, they got a job. I didn't get a job. I just feel like it's failure. Now, you say, you look at what you say. You feel like a failure. What you need to understand very quickly is that that feeling, number one, it's an external feeling. It's a foreign feeling to you. There's a foreign entity passing those thoughts into your mind. You are not a failure. Even if you have failed an exam, or even if you have failed at an event, I did a success seminar November 2000. It was called, the program was called Success Seminar. Success Seminar. 11 people came. Success Seminar. <laughs> Very successful. <laughs> I preached before a service, a whole service, Friday service. Only one man came, year 2000. That man came because he was going to be the one to take me back home. <laughs> In his car, that, and that car was a very powerful auxiliary car. The wiper was not working. The headlamp is not working. The car had no registration. It was temporary registration papers. I'm telling you the truth, sorry, the, the worst of it all is that the fuel gauge was not working. So you don't even know if he's running as a fuel. <laughs> True. But that guy now, you know, he was, he, was one of the, he was the first member of the church. That guy now is you know, he's an engineer. He went to Rising. He was in Rising University then. He went to Rising University, came out as a mechanical engineer, got a master's degree, an MBA, married to a medical doctor, doing very well in Chicago now. You know, very, very well. I've been to the house a few times in Chicago. You know, it's a mansion, basically. Praise God. But don't judge yourself. Don't be too hard. Some of you, are, some of you guys are too hard on yourself. So, well, all my mates have houses. And so what? They have houses. They don't have homes. There's a big difference. Don't judge yourself too hard. All right? Now, let's look at this, thing, this idea of self-discovery. Listen to this very carefully, guys. And women, particularly. Guys, pay attention. Ladies, pay double attention. Pay double attention, ladies. Very important. You will never attract what you want. 
So, so I want this, some of you ladies, you say, oh, I want a guy, I want him to be tall, black, dark, handsome, this, this, rich, this, this. You have all this long list. It's okay, keep, keep your list. What you don't understand is this. You, you don't understand, there's a law. It's a law. It's a law. You can't break the law, just like the law of gravity. You don't attract what you want. You can write all your list. You, you can pray about it, fast about it as a Christian. You never attract what you want. You only attract who you are. I know this for sure. You see, I, I started out as a pastor, pastoring seven adults and some children in the living room here in Mississauga, in Trailwood. Here in Mississauga, probably about 10, 15 minutes from here. I knew straight away that the people that will come to the church are not the people I want. They're the people that will go to be like me. You attract. So some pastors ask me sometimes, oh, we want professionals to come to our church. We want this to be happening in our church. How do you get this type of people? How do you get talented people to come? I said, well, if you want talented people to come, become talented. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want, if you want competent people to come around you, be competent. If you want leaders, people that, are, that have that are self-motivated, that show initiative to walk around you, then be one. You have, you only attract, so if, for example now, the people that have always been coming around you, the people you don't like, it's a mirror, it's reflecting who you are. Change who you are, then you will attract what you really are, which is not what you want. Is that making sense to somebody here? Is that making sense to somebody here? For you to be in an ideal relationship, you must keep to your own ideals. Many people say, oh, I just want this. I want my knight in shining armor. I'm waiting for my knight in shining armor. Then you find your lazy guy in pajamas. Instead <laughs> <laughs> of a knight in shining armor to come and sweep me off my feet. Keep dreaming. For you to be in an ideal relationship, you need to keep to your own ideals, which basically means you must have ideals. What, are, what do I mean by ideals? Values, identity, purpose, VIP. Values, identity, purpose, VIP. I'm going to explain this to you in a few minutes, but let's try and close. If you are yet to heal from a previous relationship, listen very carefully to me. This is a very important one. If you've been in a relationship and you're yet to heal, you will be looking for a sympathizer. Okay? Not a valuable partner. You'll be looking for a sympathizer. So anybody that, anybody you've been in a relationship for just about a month and the person is not sympathizing with you, you say they don't care. Because somebody that is yet to heal always interprets people's action from the point of view of people that can that can not just empathize, but sympathize with them. Some of you are looking for a relationship. You've come out of a relationship. Maybe the relationship was a bit difficult. You are not looking for a valuable partner. You're looking for a nurse. You're looking for a nurse. And sometimes men don't even understand that. You've got to pick up a patient. <laughs> You've got to pick up a patient. Because every day, and it's worse for the women sometimes. They picked up a patient that is a man. Every day the man is complaining. My job, my father, my mother, my siblings, my friends, my landlord, the bank, the weather, 
the government, complain about everything. That's a patient. It's only a patient that goes to sit in front of a practitioner and tells them everything. My head, master, let me write a piece of it. Don't know. Before you write it, and my leg also, and my back pain, and this, it's only a patient that complains about all those things. Patient don't go to, you don't stand in front of a doctor and say, oh, I just came around, I was in the area, I just said to come and say hello to you. <laughs> when you go to your doctor, you're going to the doctor, telling the doctor, I have one of those things I want to discuss with you, and it's always about something in your life you want the doctor to correct. Am I right? Come on, am I right about this? Please don't get involved in a patient-doctor relationship. Some of you are already in one. The lady is always, every time you pick up the phone, you're saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, it's going to be fine. Don't worry, it's going to be fine. And when you drop the phone, you're exhausted, and you're wondering, why am I exhausted? Why am I tired? I've not done any work today. You've done a lot of work. You're a volunteer doctor. <laughs> so you've been working, you just didn't know you've been working. You're a doctor and a nurse, you know, and you've been doing all of that together at the same time. If you are yet to heal, that's why you need to heal from that relationship. Let's stand close. Let's stand close. If you are not healed, like, your next relationship is likely to be based on the wrong motives and it will lead to disappointment. Let's conclude. Have you learned something today? So do you know who you are? Have you healed from your previous relationships? These are important questions. Are you ready to clarify and write down your personal ideals? So here now. Experience of 22 years tells me not every one of you will do it. What I'm about to tell you to do now. But the experience of 22 years also tells me that I will, not, I will not deny the one or two of you that will do it because of some of you that will not do it by not telling you. So this is an assignment. Clarify and write down your personal ideals during the week. You're not submitting it to me. Just clarify it on your own. Know what your personal ideals are. So, Pastor, can you throw more light on that? Yes. What are your values? What are your core values? This is about self-discovery. What are your core values? Is it honesty? Don't just go on the internet and write core values. <laughs> and let Google tell you about what you should write. You think about it. What is it? Core values basically means what is important to me that I cannot compromise. That's all. That's the simple, basic meaning. What is so important to me that I will not compromise on? So for you, is it honesty? What is it for you? What's your, what's your core value? What are your core values? It can be two, three. It doesn't have to be ten, ten. It could be just two or three. What are your core values? Okay? What's your identity? And when I say identity now, I'm not talking about your tribe. I'm not talking about your country of origin, your country of birth. I'm not talking of your profession, engineer. No, I'm talking of your identity. Simple. Are you a believer or a churchgoer? Make up your mind. Am I a believer? In other words, do I believe the Bible is the final, authoritative, complete word of God? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Or am I just, you know, my parents are Christians and, you know, I'm born in a Christian home, so, you know, I go to church, that's what we do in our family. So here I am. Are you a believer? Make up your mind. Find out. Because if you are, I say, I'm a believer. Okay. That's your ideal. That's an ideal. So clarify. Don't let people clarify it for you. You clarify it. 
Are you a believer or not a believer? What are your core values? And finally, what is your purpose? You don't need to know the whole entire thing. Just what would you like to do that would give you satisfaction if money was not an issue? That's a simple question to ask, to know your purpose. What I'm doing here right now, God Almighty knows, I'm speaking to you right now, I can still preach five more sessions today and I will not be tired. When I was coming here and I told the precious daughter of mine, um, Chini, I told her, I said, I'm going there to just speak for 20 minutes. Look at me now. I spoke for well more than that. Because I will do this even if I'm paying you. I will do it. So what is your purpose? What, what is it that you would love doing, you love doing, if money was not an issue? Please don't tell me fishing. That's a hobby. That's a hobby. Your purpose, <laughs> I'm not talking about hobbies. Someone say, oh, playing golf or traveling. No, that's not purpose. That's a hobby. A hobby is what you do for fun that benefits you. Purpose has to benefit somebody else. What would you love doing if money was not an issue that would benefit humanity? Let's put it that way. Write it down. And when you write this down, you don't need to submit to anybody. You've clarified your own ideals. That's who you are. Now, if you don't, and you're satisfied with what you have written down, then we can work on it to change it. And we'll get to that next week. Thank you very much. Can we just rest our feet for a word of prayer as I go? Thank you for the time you've taken to, to listen to this today. I trust you have been blessed. I want to pray for somebody here today, particularly somebody that perhaps you have been into a in a relationship and you've been hurt in time past. You need to be healed. You need to be healed. I want to just say a word of prayer over somebody here that needs a bit of healing. Is that all right for pray for people? But before I do that, maybe there's one or two, there are one or two people that are here in this sanctuary under the authority of my voice or watching online. You're making up your mind today to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a believer. God loves you. No matter what you have done, no matter where you're coming from, God loves you. God is not condemning you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you, not to condemn you. But so that when you believe in him, you can have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that people believe in him. Christ paid the price for your sins and my sins already. That was the demonstration of his love. He laid down his life for you and for me. On Thursday night, 8th of June, I believe it was the Thursday night, 1995, I was 25 years old, on my way to being 26, later that year, when I had the call for salvation. So I was in the median age of everyone here, and that's how I committed my life to be a follower of Jesus. It was an intentional, conscious decision. It's about 27 years now, I've never regretted it once. Christ has lifted me up, lifted me up. I just told you a little bit of how I started from Burger King. I was trapped, going nowhere. It was like a man with a great destiny, running on a treadmill. I graduated as a pharmacist. Just before I turned 21, I graduated in October 
1990. I turned 21 in November. Just before I turned 21, by the grace of the Almighty God, I was one of the best in my class. Even in the university. I was in the top 10 in my class. I won so many awards for my school. Even in my state, Lagos State, where I won many awards, I was to represent my school in the African Mathematics Olympiad. Sorry, represent my country in the African Mathematics Olympiad in 1985 before I went to the university. Listen to me very carefully, friends. I've been there. I had pride. I had ego. When I came out of university, the job I got in Smith Climb Bicham called Glasgow Smith Climb right now. At the age of 22, I had an official driver that was my, almost my dad's age at that time. Yes, about my dad's age, but he was in his late 30s. My dad was in his 40s then. I had an official car, new car for that matter. I, everywhere I wanted to go, any girlfriend I wanted to have, I was an unbeliever, remember. Don't judge me. I was a smoker. I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to nicotine. Thank God that my upbringing did not expose me to drugs. I would have done it too. I was, I'm telling you all of this to let you know that I was far gone, but Jesus rescued me. Friends, it does not matter how far gone you might think you are. Don't condemn yourself. God loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. So if you're here or not, the thought of my voice today, you want to experience the love of God. You want to experience the love of God. And you're saying to yourself, Pastor, is it okay if you just pray a word of prayer over me? I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to commit my life to Christ. Wherever you are in this hall, wherever you are online, just place your right hand on your heart. I want to pray for you now. You want to give your life to Christ or you want to rededicate your life to Christ? Friends, don't be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. The Bible says God is excited in heaven when this happens. Okay? The people that go forward in life are the people that are decisive. Somebody is there thinking in their mind, oh, should I, should I not? Oh, my friend brought to me. What are the people going to say? The people that go forward in life are people that are decisive. Destiny does not respect people that are indecisive. Who knows? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today that God is talking in your heart. You're feeling it. You're feeling it right now. You want to rededicate your life. You want to commit your life to Christ. Please do it. Don't let the enemy cheat you. Do it. Don't say, well, maybe next week. No, do it today. Place that right hand on your heart. Keep it there. Keep it there. I want to pray for you. I want to have the honor of leading you to Christ. Put it there. Put it there. Whether you're out there or here, put it there. You want to rededicate your life or give your life to Christ? Put it there. Let's do a word of prayer together. Please mean this very simple prayer with, you know, with all of your heart and you will see God begins to come into your heart and give you transformation in the name of Jesus. So say with me, Lord Jesus, I've come to you today. I believe you died for my sins. On the third day, you rose from the dead. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus, take away my sin. Give me the grace to live my life in a way that is pleasing to you. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, I want to pray for you quickly. Heavenly Father, for those that have given their lives to Christ today or dedicated their lives to you, those online and those here, I pray, Heavenly Father, as your word says, that those that come to you, you will not reject. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you wash away, take away their sin, write their names in the book of life, and give them the grace as they have prayed to live a life that is worthy of you 
fully pleasing and fulfilling purpose in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church. Give the Lord a big round of applause. Now, if you said that prayer online or here, there's a QR code you see. You can scan it or send, text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to the number you see there, one 855 Every time I want to pronounce that, I almost say 007. I watch too, much, too many Jim, James Bond films. All right. You know, text the number. It will pop up a link for you. Please fill in, in with your names and, and your email address so we can reach out to you, okay, and send you some materials completely free of charge. God bless you. Now, please listen carefully. I don't like you to be shy about anything. My assignment is not just to teach you. My assignment from God is also to be a channel through which the Holy Spirit can touch you. All right? If you have been through a painful session in a relationship, I didn't say if you've been through pain in life. That means every, every one of us. Don't be shy. I went through a painful relationship before I met my wife. So this is I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you also, though it's the word of God, but I'm teaching you also from experience. I went through a very painful, a bit of a painful relationship. But, you know, God helped me. The only part of the way God helped me was that I traveled out of the country of Nigeria. Went to London in 1994. And that God used that as a process of, brought a lot of healing to me. So I, and I gave my life to Christ in 95. I discovered myself. I discovered myself. That helped me. If you've been through a bit of a pain in a relationship, don't be shy. Just put up your hand. I want to pray for you, wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. 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 Let's pray. Lift up that right hand. Father, you're the one that brings healing. Your word says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. All of these precious children of yours that are putting up their right hands, I pray, oh God, the depth of the pain in their heart that you bring healing to it in Jesus' name. The pain in their heart, Father. Some of the things that have happened to them, they cannot even articulate. Some of the pain they're facing, they cannot communicate. But Lord Jesus, you know everything. I pray today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will bring healing to them in Jesus' name. That when they remember those situations and circumstances, they will not feel the pain again in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the healing you brought to them. I give you the praise forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you. I'll catch up with you next time again. God bless you.